Pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you've promised us yourself. You've promised us daily renewal through you. And so please do that work in us, in our own spirits. Reveal to us your way. Show us how that way is possible. Whether church and listening to sermons is new for us or whether it's a lifelong rhythm with deep grooves, meet us where we are, Holy Spirit. And don't leave us where you find us. Amen. There's this funny little anecdotal story I heard, and it sounds like one of those stories that's ancient and it's been around forever, and I'm not sure that's the case, uh, but I like it anyway. This is how it goes. A wealthy businessman was horrified to see a fisherman sitting beside his boat, playing with a small child. Why aren't you out fishing? He asked him. Because I've caught all I've needed to for the day, replied the fisherman. Well, why don't you go catch more, said the businessman. What would I do with them? Well, you could earn more money, said the businessman. And then with that extra money, you could buy a bigger boat, go into deeper waters, catch more fish, earn more money. And then with that money, uh, you can buy better nets, catch more fish, earn more money. With that money, you can buy a second boat, maybe even a third, finally having a whole fleet of boats and be rich like me. And then what would I do, said the fisherman. Then, said the businessman, you could really enjoy life. And the fisherman responded quizzically, what do you think I'm doing now? We've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Philippians this summer, and today we'll immerse ourselves in the last chapter. You'll hear Paul talk about this secret that he possesses, and I wonder what he'd have to say about the story we just heard. We'll get a clue maybe along the way. We'll come back to it. For now, listen to this from the book that we love. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned for me, but have had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with what I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. Any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and being hungry, of having little and having enough. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share in my distress. You Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, 
but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to our God. And my God will fully satisfy all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God, our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of the emperor's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's hard for me, at least, not to chuckle a little bit at hearing Paul's, at least he seems to be struggling to accept the generosity of the Philippian church in whatever sort of offering they've sent along to him. I don't know what it was. His clumsiness is evident. Um, I'm imagining how it would feel to offer something, a, a gift, a help to a friend of mine and only to hear in response, thank you so much. I didn't need it. Well, in fact, I don't need it, but thank you. Uh, uh, I'm most grateful that you've acted generously. You're welcome. We get it, Paul. You don't need much. However, at the root of all of Paul's blundering and ineloquence around it all, we find a clear and subversive claim. I have learned the secret. The same one who just a chapter ago in chapter three reminded us that if anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I know what it is to have plenty. And now he writes from a jail cell of some sort. And I know what it is to have little. Yep, checks out. And in the midst of it all, he claims, in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of having plenty and of being in need. I can remember a pastor acknowledging once this, that we have a deep inner sense that contentment is possible. It can be attained. We just are not exactly sure how to get to there from here. Does that feel true to you? After all, how can you possibly get in on this so-called secret when everyone all the time is asking you what's coming next what are you doing next? What's your five-year plan? Isn't it just okay to be where I am right now? And when social media displays the curated content of the life that you could only wish to have, the spouse you wish was yours, the parent you'd like to be, is life just one big comparison? And is it too obvious to even say? The striving for the next promotion, 
the better pay, the more impressive car, the more aesthetic home, the clothes that tell somebody that you're somebody, the gifts that would say to you, he loves you, she loves you. And Paul says, I've learned the secret. Paul wasn't actually the only one in his day who spoke on this subject matter. Um, Other philosophers were seeking after it too, trying to find that elusive answer to contentment. Although their solution was different than his, it wasn't so much a secret they found as it was an answer found in yourself already. You have the resources already inside you to be able to smile at whatever life throws your way. And here we are a couple of millennia later. It's amazing how much things don't change in some ways. And it's funny because it sounds to me like if, if you just do one more thing, work to pull up the resources within yourself, then you can stop thriving or striving. Then contentment will come. If you just do a little more. I've learned the secret. Can you imagine what it would feel like to be settled, to feel peace, grateful even for where and how you are right now? We know it's probably out there, we just don't know how to get to there from here. I've learned the secret. The secret is for you too. And the secret will change your life. And contrary to the popular belief of many in the first century and in the 21st, it's not procured out of yourself or your self-sufficiency, but rather quite the opposite. And if I can be so bold to try and expose Paul's named secret, it's this. What's uncovered is exclusive and unreserved reliance and dependence on another's sufficiency, another's resources. And at this point, it can't be a surprise to you what what I'm going to say, which is Paul's secret is Christ. In Christ, you're not pinning your hopes, your goals, your expectations, your value, your identity on something that is constantly shifting and changing and ebbing and flowing. Christ is the only thing, the only one who is actually steady, constant, stable. And Christ is what leads Paul to say a few verses later that my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. In Christ, you're not only taken care of, but you don't have to worry about if you will be. And even though it's not about what you get from it, you can rest assured you'll be okay. I've learned the secret. I'm going to say it so many times by the end of this over and over that you'll probably get sick of hearing it. You probably already have. That's okay. Paul's 
not the only one with this secret, um, which tells me it's not unattainable for you or for me either. We see it pop up throughout time and history and through stories told in the church. From three friends thrown in a fire in Babylon for refusing to bow down to their king, who say, our allegiance is to God, he will save us. But if not, he is still good. He is still God. I have learned the secret. And in the earliest iterations of the very first church, who gave generously of what they had to anyone who had need, even at personal loss and personal cost, I have learned the secret and martyred pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who writes uh, from a jail cell himself, not long after he had been imprisoned for his faith in 1943, he says, people outside naturally find it difficult to imagine what prison life must be like. In itself, that is, each single moment. Life here is not very different from anywhere else so far. I've learned the secret. And to a modern-day saint that I know named Winnie, a sister in a church in Minnesota whose diagnosis of advanced lung cancer has given her a very clear understanding of her future. Yet somehow, some way, she's chosen to fully embrace what lies before her. That is, death I have learned the secret. Can you stop the striving? The controlling? What if right now where you are can be okay, will be all right, not because of what it is, but because of one who is? And by the way, did you catch it in there? Paul slips it in, that great encouragement of Paul uh, when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, you may have noticed it's actually not a prayer to pray so that you win the high school basketball game. It's a prayer to pray when you lose. I have learned the secret. And you're not left to figure it out on your own. It, it doesn't have to be another box in the am I a good enough Christian checklist because it, it's not a to-do item. It's a gift to you. It's not another thing to strive for or grasp because it's freely given when your heart is turned to Christ. And the result is peace. The kind of contentment that can change you. It can change your life. I'm keeping it short and sweet today, but before we go to the table, I want to circle back to that first little fable that we heard. I, I love the story of uh, the business person and the fisherman because it's the type of story that for me just very practically reminds me that there can be another way. I might not have it all figured out, but I also find it misses the mark in a pretty significant way. 
the beauty of a day, enjoying time with a sweet child, a day's work completed cannot source true contentment. And I, believe you me, am the first one who finds much contentment in circumstances. I love my people. I love hiking on a beautiful day. I love laughing until I cry. And all of that is right and good. But if that's where it ends, we'll still be left lacking. The wellspring of contentment is Christ. Regardless of circumstances and regardless even of appreciation of life itself, it's life in Christ. The kind of life that would have Paul say elsewhere in his letters, your life is hid with Christ in God. So let's not miss out on receiving that secret for ourselves too, so that whatever life could toss our way, and it will toss things our way, we can say that we too have learned the secret. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.